Hi, my name is Frank McKenna. I'm the Group Chair and Chief Executive of Downtown in Business. And I'm here to tell you about a fabulous Business of Sport conference that we're hosting on Thursday, the 7th of September at the Old Trafford Cricket Stadium, the Emirates Stadium. We've got an array of fantastic speakers for your enjoyment, including uh, former footballer turned Sky Pundit Gary Neville. Now, of course, many business interests as well. We have uh, Jamie Jones Buchanan, uh, former rugby league legend, and now he's taking his coaching and playing skills into the boardroom. And Montel Douglas, uh, athlete turned bobslayer turned gladiator. Many other great speakers as well along on that day for a conference that's uh, sponsored by Sedulo, by BDP, and of course, by our good friends from BSI Executive Education. So that's Downtown in Business's Business of Sport Conference, Thursday, the 7th of September, Old Traffic Cricket Stadium. Go to our website, downtownandbusiness.com. Go to the events section, book your tickets now. Okay, welcome to the Downtown Den and this special edition and recording uh, and we're going to be focusing on politics so, um, we've delighted to be joined by Jim Hancock who is of course uh, downtown and business political commentator a man who is one of the most experienced political commentators in the nation never mind just in the northwest and um, I'm going to be talking to Jim about the recent by-elections uh, but also looking back on the last parliament because of course parliament went into recess this week and uh, when they get back in the autumn we're all anticipating that will be the last session in the run-up to the general election so James uh, good afternoon to you great to see you nice to see you Frank as always, and very generous uh, introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I probably undersold you. To be fair, um, listen. Let's get into these by-elections because um, you know three very different seats, very different constituencies, and very different results. What did you make of it? Well, I'm going to immediately focus on the most interesting one because uh, you know <laughs> journalistic instincts to scratch at scabs and things like that, and it has to be the uh, Uxbridge. Uh, election, you know, the surprise victory for the Conservatives, not just because it was a sort of surprise, um, but because it, I think it possibly points the way to some interesting developments in politics. I mean, just to remind you that this Steve Tuckwell, I, I don't know if you've seen him over the last few days, but this is quite a burly chap, I said, in his 40s or 50s, you know, not a not a, not a youngster, and we'll be coming on to that in another connection later on. He looks the business to me, Frank, I have to say. This of, was the Conservative candidate? The Conservative candidate, yes. Quite a robust gentleman. Uh, so I think he, he was a good candidate in their desperate circumstances. So he, he came over came over well. Uh, whereas Danny Beals, um, because of this Ulez um, thing, sort of... Um, partly disappeared during the campaign because they didn't put him up because they were all over the place on Ulez. Um, you know, he, he prevailed. I mean, I've no doubt at all that he prevailed because of the uh, Ulez decision, although it was always a sticky seat. I mean, as has been pointed out, even in 1997, the Tories didn't take um, uh, Uxbridge, uh, you know, under, under Tony Blair. So Let me you know, just give um, listeners a bit of background to this particular seat then, Uxbridge. So this is the seat that Boris Johnson 
basically had and when he resigned the by-election of course was created and um, it was expected of course given the trials and tribulations of the government at the moment that Labour would overturn what was a relatively small majority smallish 8,000 or so um, but this issue as you've raised Jim ULES which is the ultra low emission zone in London the Tories focused in on that because they're saying or were suggesting that this is a Sadiq Khan policy, a Labour Mayor's policy, and it was almost a single-issue campaign that they went to Uxbridge and the voters of Uxbridge with, wasn't it? Yes, ignoring the fact that it was initiated when Boris Johnson was Mayor of London. Mm-hmm. But we know in the northwest what a toxic issue this is because Andy Burnham in Greater Manchester has had the same problem. I mean, I, uh, I've been canvassed, and I'm sure you have, by people who, for instance, in, in my part of the world, in them, where they just drive over a bridge over the Manchester Ship Canal, dip into Trafford for two minutes or a mile maybe, and then go out again. And according to what was originally set up, although Andy's fighting it now, would have been a, a, a substantial charge a day. So this isn't just an issue confined to London, but it does have implications for the Green Agenda, which we may come on to later. But anyway, so there we were. And this Steve Tuckwell, who I think was looked a good candidate, managed to prevail on a recount by 495 votes. <laughs> there was a swing to Labour um, uh, of uh, 6%. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, so Beals was, was in striking distance and the rest were really nowhere at all. What I think, what I wonder, and I'm interested in your opinion on this, I mean, there's talk now that, I mean, the Conservatives are in a desperate plight and uh, ULEZ is not going to do for them all over the country. Things like the cost of living increase, buying a house, waiting to see a GP, in large numbers of constituencies, you know, the, the national issues are going to severely harm the Conservative Party. Let's not carry it away. But there was, there's been some interesting talk about the, how the wedge issue here was effective, the single issue, the particular issue was effective. And I was just wondering whether uh, on the south coast seats of England, where particularly where immigration, you know, where the boat people are coming ashore and things like that, could the Conservative Party, if they're minded to go into a cultural war at general election rather than trying, you know, rather than focusing on the awkward issues of the economy, could they wedge in uh, on, on, on that sort of thing? And in Wales, where the government is Labour, are there issues in Wales, I don't know what they might be, where they could wedge against the Welsh Senate? Um, you know, I just don't know whether that could be, could be an issue. In a general election, it's likely to be more diluted, but I just, I just leave that thought with you. Mm. Well, I think that the Conservatives have definitely seen uh, an opening here, haven't they? Because all of the weekend press was talking about them rowing back on their commitment to climate change initiatives, trying to pin that agenda on the Labour Party, which, as you say, is a bit bizarre, given the fact that ULEZ was a Boris Johnson policy, was Boris Johnson as Prime Minister who signed up to all those COP26 commitments, of course. But Rishi Sunak, to be fair to him, doesn't seem as embedded, committed to eco-issues. And so there may be uh, a genuine change of policy because the Prime Minister simply doesn't believe in that agenda anyway. But well, I think that- more likely, more likely, you've got the situation where the Tories are desperate and see this, as you say, as a wedge issue where they can start to distinguish themselves 
away from the Labour Party on an issue that is clearly somewhat unpopular in places. I think the other interesting aspect of this, though, the other side of that same coin, was Labour's reaction. So, as you say, a 6% swing, if that was translated across the country, then Labour certainly becomes the biggest party within Parliament, which, you know, a couple of years ago when they were losing the Hartlepool by-election, they'd have bitten your right hand off for, I'm sure. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, Keir Starmer had laid the leadership turning against the Labour mayor and saying this policy must be reviewed. And I do wonder where that then leaves the statement that Sakia made at the start of the year, which is, I am a localist, because this is the devolution dilemma, isn't it? We want to have these powerful mayors who can raise funds, who can do things in their areas that they think is right, and they can carry the majority of support, and I'm told over 60% of Londoners actually support you, Les. Surely, we have to have a situation where our national politicians need to step back from those issues. Okay, you could have disagreements, but trying to hang the London mayor out to dry, which it seems to me the Labour, Labour leadership did somewhat over the weekend, uh, not really a, a commitment to localism. So two things yeah. there, really, Jim. Yeah. You know, yeah, can the Tories get away with pivoting from Green, given the fact that, you know, we have Cameron with his tree, change of emblem, Boris at COP26 saying that we were the eco-warriors, all of a sudden now, soon I can go over saying, oh, no, 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 we don't want to do any of this green stuff. Yes, well, um, two very important points there. Firstly, on the devolution, you put your finger right on the dilemma. Uh, it's the Treasury, it always was a Treasury view, and they always had a downer on devolution because they didn't want to let too much go. You know, if you are going to do this at all, which we're not very keen on, don't go too far. And of course, this super deal that Andy's recently negotiated is quite a long way down that road. But you always sort of feel, even, and it may be true with Labour as well, you can have your devolution, providing you're not naughty boys and providing you don't embarrass the National Party or the National Government. And we'll always keep a string on you over that. And uh, it, it, as, as the, as the sub-regional mayors gain more and more authority, it's going to become a greater and greater tension. Now, so far, we've only seen it under a Conservative government, but I, I've no reason to think it, it won't, won't be um, similar under un, under a Labour government. Moving on to the other issue about the, the Green, I just was sort of reflecting at the weekend. I know, um, obviously, uh, we've had terrible weather here, but Europe's been ablaze. Climate change, I, you know, um, I can see... Um, I mean, as you've already alluded to, uh, Rishi Sunak didn't share Boris Johnson's green agenda. And I can see tremendous nervousness now over green policies, not only ULES, but these very expensive, very important, of course, in the context of climate change, very important policies about insulating our homes, um, meters, you know, new meters, heat pumps, um, uh, petrol ban coming in in 2030, all these policies you can just see them going in and saying, you know, Prime Minister, it's dangerous, it's brave stuff, Prime Minister, do you want to go on there? We'll see how it falls out, but, you know, you've got this obvious evidence of climate change, but you've just had this, I mean, obviously Labour's line is that the, 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 the problem is the Tories haven't given them enough for scrappage and therefore it's penalising mm. working class families. But I think you've put your finger on two quite important points to come from that by-election. Yeah, and I think what disappointed me in a sense was the... <laughs> lack of 
willingness to show some leadership uh, and perhaps try and explain a policy in terms of why they've introduced that particular scheme in London. And as you say, it was a long-term strategy that was initially launched by Boris Johnson. I think, to be fair, it's been extended, that zone, by Sadiq Khan, two hours to London. And, you know, I thought the best quote that I heard uh, about this particular issue was from Sh- Sh- uh, Siobhan McDonough, who's, who's a Labour MP, of course, in London, who, you know, arguing against Jules Hez in terms of its current form, when she said it can't be right for us to be supporting a regressive tax. We're asking the people less able to pay the costs of it. Basically, what her argument is, and I think this is where Labour needs to start to develop a policy that they can explain and win people around to, is that you can't have the poorest people playing for what some refer to as green crap. Uh, And that means, yeah, perhaps uh, a more generous scrappage scheme, because, of course, the people who are going to be penalised in outer London through this new ULES initiative are those who own older cars, can't afford to upgrade the cars. So you guess working class voters, almost the return to the Red Wall uh, debate, isn't it? So I understand and appreciate where Labour are coming from to a point. But it seemed to me that they weren't saying, well, let's try and have a more nuanced approach to this issue. Let's talk about, you know, saving London kids' lungs, because that's what it's about. Let's talk about, you know, air quality. Let's talk about the negative impact if we don't do something about this. They were all too quick for me to sort of suggest well, we just want to get rid of this strategy and forget that the climate change issue and the air quality issue is something that we have to be concerned about. What happened, Jim, to leaders actually trying to win over support, win over voters? Are we now in this spiral whereby it's just the latest poll and the latest focus group that actually starts to dictate policy? Yeah, the fear has to be that in a general election context, which we're almost into now, all those things that you refer to uh, are just going to accelerate and we're going to get a pretty incoherent policy. Shall I Shall I move on to Selby and Ainsty? Yes, that'd be a good one. I think let's give uh, Labour a little bit more of to, to cheer about, perhaps. Well, yes, well, this certainly was. Another keer in Parliament is Angela Rayner. I mean, yeah. Angela Rayner, she's growing on me, you know. She's got that that sense of humour. She gets up on the platform, oh, I've got two keys to look forward to, you know, and he's standing there in his usual I'm way. in a Kia sta- sandwich, she said. <laughs> Steady, steady. Um, yeah, um, you know, it's uh, it, 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 she's good. Uh, anyway, you know, this this really was a thumping change. And we have to bear in mind with all three of these by-elections, they're all because of Tory ructions, you know, uh, Johnson um, uh, um, resigning, uh, his mate resigning in, in Selby, and the chap down in Somerset having to go because of um, drug allegations which he didn't, uh, which he admitted to, and um, other allegations which he didn't. So these are all, you know, the people there have seen their MPs leaving, not because they've died, but because of um, distractible reasons, which I think does have some effect on, on the thing. But this was a spectacular game for the 25-year-old Kian Mather. I mean, whether you, you know, there's been quite a lot of, I don't know what you think about this, there's been quite a sort of, a sort of sneering, oh, 25, far too young to be in the house. I mean, heavens above. You know, uh, maybe he hasn't had experience of life, but he will be able to bring some views to it. So I think that was in Adam Lord. Anyway, so there we are. He's in there with a 4,000 majority, overturning a 20,000 majority. That's the 
biggest um, change, uh, biggest victory that Labour's ever had in, in numerical terms, and certainly well within the swing that they would need. I mean, you know, Selby and Anstey aren't on, even on the target list for Labour, so it was a, a massive victory. But one other thing I want to say before you come in, Frank, and this is true of, of Somerton as well, and this is a slight worry for Sakia. Tories stayed home in huge numbers. They're, unlike the run-up to 97, which you and I remember well, I was only listing the other day the sort of by-elections that we, we saw in rural south, and um, we remember that in the February um, of 1997, where we saw, you know, you could actually detect a positive people positively going over to the Labour Party. In these cases, it has been a huge number of Tories staying at home. Now, if they stay at home in the autumn of 2024, or even January 25, one of the newspapers was even speculating you'll have to go to the extreme, although we can discuss that. I very much doubt we want to get jammed in just after Christmas. Um, you know, it, 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 Sakia hasn't inspired people yet. Mm. Yeah, I think um, the stay-at-homes uh, are going to be the big the stay-at-home Tories are going to be the big concern uh, for Labour at this moment in time, which suggests to me that there's still a fair way to go for Labour to convince people that they are the party that should be getting their support. It's okay for people to abstain and perhaps demonstrate uh, the um, discomfort with the government's performance, if I can put it that way at this moment in time. But there is not that same sort of enthusiasm that, as you rightly say, Tony Blair, Gordon Brown were able to engender back in 1997. Um, in terms of that swing, though, yeah, um, over 20%, incredible performance from the Labour Party. And, you know, we go back to the comment you were making about uh, Keir Mayer and the fact that he's 25 years of age. I thought it was a, an atrocious comment from Johnny Mercer to suggest that he was uh, too young and, you know, in some way this was trying to introduce some sort of in-betweeners uh, culture into the House of Commons. Um, I think there's been some great... Uh, young MPs elected uh, in the not too distant view. People go back to Winston Churchill. I'll go back to Charlie Kennedy. You know, these people elected in their early 20s ended up leading the country, leading the party in Charlie Kennedy's case. Um, but nonetheless, very talented people. And from what I've seen of Keir Mayer, uh, a very, very talented young man. And, you know, Johnny Mercer trying to suggest that young people don't know anything about the cost of living crisis. Well, it's young people who have to play student debt back. It's young people who are struggling to get onto the housing ladder. I'm sure it's young people, particularly young people with children, who are struggling to pay their energy bills at this moment in time. So I think them having a champion and a 25-year-old in Parliament is no bad thing. And, you know, the other thing you'd have to point out to Mr Mercer is the fact that the middle-aged, largely middle-aged and elderly parliamentarians that we have running the bleeding country at the moment have not been doing a particularly great job. And my final point on this, and what I couldn't believe the Labour uh, commentator who sat aside Johnny Mercer on Sky didn't pull him up on, it's the fact that that Pritmer fella, Boris Johnson, has appointed two lifetime peers who are at the age of 28 and 31. They didn't have to go to electors and convince them that they were able to do a job as a parliamentarian. They were just given this, and nobody yet has come up 
with a good reason as to why those two young people have actually been given life periods. So for Johnny Mercer to come along and say, oh, 25-year-old, this is disgraceful. I mean, come on, have a word with yourself, Mr Mercer. I was disappointed as well because he's one of the Tories who ordinarily comes across as reasonable. I put him in the One Nation camp. Um, I think I'm right in saying he was a Remainer. So a lot of things that I've I've seen about Johnny Mercer over the years I've admired, but I thought that comment... He's was a, absolutely he's, disgraceful. He's from my original hometown of Plymouth, and his and his wife is very robust in defending him when she's under attack by Carol Vorderman. There's a, great, <laughs> a Twitter storm between Mrs. Mercer and, and Carol Vorderman. Right, so as we as I mentioned, the West Country. Shall we move on? To yeah, let's of, get on to the, the third of these bylaws. Yes, another. I mean, if you if you were if you were coming from Mars and you just looked at by-election results in this Parliament, you'd think Sir Ed Davies on target to be Prime Minister. You know, North Shropshire, and then that one near London, and now Tiverton, and then and then this one at Somerton and Froome. Really spectacular thumping Liberal Democrat victories. And, you know, doing quite well in local government elections. But when asked in polls, you know, how are you going to vote in general elections? They've been bobbing along at about 8%. And they go back to the, you know, they sort of, they, they flare up with these by-election victories and then seem to seem to sink back. So, um, you know, uh, although we can look at this and say, well, um, you know, they're, they're, they're on track. I mean, I think they are on track to pressurise the Conservatives in some southwestern seats. So I can think of others where um, you know the the Brexit factor is still there. It was always an irony that in the southwest, where Brexitism was quite strong, the Liberals were quite strong. They seemed to sort of forgive them in the old days. So we'll see how they do in the in the home counties, though. You know, in Eurasias and places like that. Um, uh, you know, they they, they 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 might do quite well. Sarah Dyke winning with a, 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 a huge swing of twenty nine percent. She's now got a majority of eleven thousand. Um, the Conservative um, way, 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 way back, way back uh, down. And and Labour, I mean, it's very interesting. In third place, was it Labour? Nope. It was the Greens. Were they fourth? Nope. Reform UK. Labour had a thousand and nine votes. Tactical voting, Frank, has been a very, very striking issue in these, uh, particularly in these seats of Selby and, uh, and Somerton and Froome. And when you said earlier about stay-at-home Tories being a worry for Keir Starmer, tactical voting will be a huge concern for Rishi Sunak and the government and the Conservatives because we've seen this happening now across a number of by-elections. This isn't a one-off. And the other issue that you raised there, Brexit, interesting. Listening to some of the local voters who participated in that poll in Somerton, they were saying that one of the reasons they voted Liberal Democrat was because of how badly the Brexit deal has gone for farmers and for rural areas. And these deals that have been signed, these new trade deals that have been signed very quickly with Australia and New Zealand and lauded as this is our new way into the world, isn't this fabulous that we can do these brilliant trade deals with Australia and New Zealand? Very, very bad for British farmers. And as a result of that, the Tories have actually suffered in this by-election. Now, whether or not, as you said earlier, that translates into votes in the general election, let's see. But nonetheless, I don't think you can doubt the fact that the Liberal Democrats will play a much more significant part in the general election of 2024 than they did in the general election of 2019. 
Do you think people will be able to work out in six, not 650, well, say 600 seats, you know, what the tactical position is? Because they get very focused on by-elections. Do you think people will take the time and trouble to work it out and do it? I mean, they sort of did in 97. There was evidence of that, wasn't there? I think they will. And I think that uh, we sometimes underestimate people in terms of how seriously they take general elections in particular. Uh, and I think if the Conservatives are unable to recover in terms of the cost of living crisis, the economy in particular, um, and if they're hit with another round of sleaze, uh, and who knows, because, you know, every time Rishi Sunak seems to put one problem in a box, another one springs up. Uh, and Boris Johnson's hanging around like a bad smell as well. So who knows what he will bring to the party over the next 12 months. Um, people will want to punish them. And if people want to punish them, they will go out of the way to find out what the best way of doing that is. And that is often tactical voting. And we've still got the mid-beds bed blocker, um, well, Nadine Doris, who, who is still holding her seat over the head of Sunak. Um, so we could have a, you know, this could be prolonged into the autumn unless she decides to stay on for the whole parliament. But uh, yeah, she, yeah, she said she was going to resign with immediate effect about two months ago. So um, I wouldn't hold my breath on that one. Yeah. And and again, uh, some of my contacts in Parliament suggested to me that she's she's going to go right to the wire and uh, and probably not create a by-election because it doesn't suit her personally, which, you know, the electors of Mid-Beds have every right to feel furious about because the reason that she gave, not threefold, wasn't it? One, um, she didn't get a peerage that she thinks she was entitled to. Well, you know, I, I think I'm entitled to one, Jim. I'm sure you Absolutely. do as well. Um, so, you Lord, know, I've looked, well... <laughs> Lots of sympathy with her because, you know, she's basically claiming because she was a working class girl for Eitan, um, she should be given an appearance. Well, I'm a working class lad from Brutal, so surely I get one as well. Anyway, that aside, she then went on to say that, you know, she was far too busy now with her television programme and uh, her newspaper call to uh, be a good constituency MP. And yeah, here we are two months later. She's still drawing her parliamentary salary. She's not been to Parliament, I don't think, for about a year. Certainly not spoken in the Commons for a year. Uh, and she's decided that she's going to sit there for a further 18 months taking the money. Incredible, really, when you consider some of the messaging that you hear from Conservatives about scroungers and immigrants stealing all our cash. And they're quite prepared to sit on the green benches or not sit on the green benches in the case of Nadine. Do the telly work, do a column for the newspaper, go off, have a sabbatical, write a book about the terrible things that happened to her mate Boris. Uh, and yet she's still drawing her 80 grand plus salary. But there you go. That's yeah. parliamentarians for so my some of them. I yeah. So my concluding thoughts are, you know, in in in, in a sort of headline where it was a, a win for all all three parties. But I think that slightly masks it. The Tories are obviously clinging on to Uxbridge. The fact of the matter is they have taken the thumping uh, historically, uh, as we saw in the mid nineties. Uh, when when parties in opposition make have great by-election victories, it doesn't always translate, but it translated into a landslide then. And I'm afraid I go back to the mid-1960s with Harold Wilson. He had a thumping majority in 1966. 
But within two years, he was he nearly lost Manchester Gorton, a young Winston Churchill, the grandson of the Prime Minister, nearly beat Ken Marks in Gorton. He then, in 1968, lost three by-elections in a day, which we thought was going to happen this time. And although Harold recovered a bit, he did lose to Ted Heath in 1970. So let's not overdo Uxbridge. It's still looking very, very bad for the Conservatives. Yeah, my take on this, you know, from Labour's perspective is it will reinforce uh, Keir and his team's view that it's the, the Ming Vars strategy uh, rather than let's get bold and brave. Um, and uh, I, I think that, as I often say with modern day politics, these things are not black and white. I think they do have to be cautious. They do have to be careful about the promises they make. They can't be making too many spending commitments because we all know the money isn't there. Nevertheless, they need to start to point out why we're in the economic mess we're in, why actually some of these environmental policies that we should be introducing now are not able to be introduced because we didn't bring build the nuclear power stations we ought to have built. We haven't got the infrastructure that we should have in terms of public transport. And that's largely as a result of dithering over the last 13 years from the Conservative Party and, of course, austerity, which was introduced by George Osborne. So I think Labour's got to start to fight back a bit, be a bit more robust in terms of its explanations. The final thing I want to say about the environment, and this will be controversial, not going to be picked up by either of the main political parties. I've no doubt about that, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I was reading last week about Rachel Reeves lauding the American economy and saying how fantastic it was that they were able to keep inflation at 3% and the economy was fairly booming. And of course, Joe Biden takes an awful lot of credit from that. One of the significant reasons why America is able to do as well as it is, is fracking. They are producing energy at a much lower cost, they will say much safer, and of course it's offered them energy security. All of those boxes can be ticked with fracking. What we import any of that gas to this what country? What sure, I'm sure we do. Sure we do. But of as course, as what if we decided... As long as we, Blackpool doesn't shake down. That's oh, all. dear. But Jim, it drives me to distraction because you and I have both seen endless presentations by scientists who said, done correctly, this is safe and also economically would have offered a fantastic boom, not just to Lancashire, but to the UK economy. Anyway, as I say, that's an argument that's going to fall on deaf ears. It's far too controversial for any of these bloody politicians who've got short-termism and general elections in mind to take uh, cognizance of. But nonetheless, I'm throwing that in as a policy that I think they ought to be reviewing and looking at. But listen, Jim, it was great to get your take on the by-elections. We're going to take a short break. And when I come back, I'm going to get your thoughts on what has been a hugely active parliament. Uh, since the Queen's speech, we've had three prime ministers, four chancellors, uh, cost of living crisis, interest rates hikes. Need I go on? Jim's going to try and make some sense of that after this short break. And I'll be chipping in with an opinion or two as well. Stay with us, we'll be back in a moment. Hi, my name's Frank McKenna. I'm the Chief Executive and Group Chairman of Downtown in Business. And if you're not a member of DIB yet, why not? You are going to miss out on a sensational September of events. We've got events right across the country and we'll be speaking to some really influential politicians, including the Shadow Business Secretary, 
Johnny Reynolds, the Shadow Health Secretary, Wes Streeting, and the Shadow Justice Minister, Steve Reid. We've also got the property entrepreneur, Chris Oglesby, doing an event for us down in Birmingham. And we've got a whole range of other speakers, chief executives of local authorities, other business leaders, other politicians, coming in to share their thoughts and opinions with the Downtown Network. If you go to our events section on our website, all the W's downtowninbusiness.com, then you will see what a fantastic range of events we have coming up in September. And if that's not enough to tempt you into a membership, then wait to see what we've got coming in the remainder of the autumn. We've got awards events happening in Manchester, Birmingham and Liverpool. We've got the two leaders from Liverpool and the Liverpool City region, Liam Robinson and Steve Rotherham joining us for a very special breakfast forum. We've got the Education Minister, Gillian Keegan, doing us an event at the Conservative Party conference. We've got Andy Street, the regional mayor from the West Midlands, in a breakfast event with us too. So a whole range of great people, great events, great networking. Join Downtown in Business today. As I say, visit our website and see some of the fantastic events that we've got for your pleasure happening in autumn 2023. Welcome back to this very special edition of the Downtown Den podcast. We're talking all things politics. I'm delighted to be joined by our political editor, Jim Hancock. Jim and I were reflecting on the three by-election results last week, and we're now going to review what's happened in Parliament over the last 12, 18 months or so since the last Queen's speech. And as I mentioned before the break, we've had uh, three prime ministers, four chancellors, lots of happenings uh, on the parliamentary estate during that period of time, James. I know it's going to be difficult for you to do this, but, you know, give us a sort of whirlwind uh, expose of what's been going on during that period of time in the House of Commons. Well, the, the very fact that you said the, the last Queen's speech, you know, that's the first thing, isn't it? You know, the Queen, well, I don't think she, per, no, I mean, the, the, then, the, then Prince Charles delivered it, but I mean, you know, so two, two, two monarchs as well, you can add to that list you've given. I mean, a, a most extraordinary time in politics. And um, I mean, if, you know, I think you and I share the view that this country's reputation has undergone quite a lot of damage in the last few years from a subject that we talk about too much, probably, you and I, Frank. But anyway, but on top of that, we've had this turmoil and sleaze and investigations all running alongside an economy and the cost of living rocketing through the roof of the Ukraine war. So it's it's been a dismal period, really. Um, and, you know, obviously, um, I mean, go, going back through it, um, the beginning of it, Johnson was still in office, but um, was increasingly reaching the precipice, which he did over the over the um, Pincher affair, where he said then, and, and this, even said subsequently, uh, which I think is um, uh, yet another nail in his coffin, his attitude to behaviour by MPs, because when he reflects on it, even now, out of office, he sort of said, well, you know, if you sacked everyone who pinched someone's bottom, you wouldn't have a government and things like that. It's that sort of attitude that's led to the appalling reputation that the House has developed for that. I don't want to be too sanctimonious in this summary, but it, it, it hasn't been a great time. We, we saw the extraordinary turbulence after Johnson left. The Conservative members in the country completely lost their responsibility for electing a leader that the nation could embrace and chose someone 
that fitted their narrow perspective on what needed to be done in this trust. I mean, you and I, I remember very clearly you and I did a downtown event with Liz Trust a few years ago, and she impressed me. And, you know, directed properly and directing her own career properly, she could have made a lot more of it. She, she's energetic, she's lively, she's imaginative, but she was let loose on the British economy, and there are business people that we represent in downtown who are going to be suffering for a long time from her short tenure in office. And then we had Rishi. And, and of course, we can now, in doing this summer, we've, we've begun to sort of look back a little on him. Now, I know he's, he's actually irritated by this. I mean, there's been a lot of coverage in the last few days about how he expected to come into office and providing he was calm and looked at the spreadsheets and did everything properly that, um, you know, a lot of this political rumpus and rough weather wouldn't prevail on him but um you know when when you launch your ship into the sea of politics rishi you're you're in the waves along with everyone else who's ever done it and i think it's been a wake-up call and whether he's realized that now we'll, we'll wait to see but a, but a quite extraordinary extraordinary not a very edifying period quite frankly uh, uh, frank and where we come out of it with people really struggling with mortgages although i think sometimes in the media we overdo the mortgage thing because there's a heck of a lot of people who can't even afford a mortgage they've got <laughs> rental well they have they've got rental problems or they can't get a house so that's overdo the mortgage the mortgage is a, a, an important section of the economy but it's not the only thing so uh, a pretty dismal situation. Um, just to be fair to the Conservatives, in the last week, you know, inflation did take a, a little bit more of a dip than was expected. They have at last announced a big battery factory in Somerset. Didn't do them any good in the by-election, by the way, but my goodness, we need to get on with that. But it's all been so slow. Mm. And, uh, you know, what concerns me? We mentioned earlier the concerns Keir Starmer may have about stay-at-home Conservative voters. I think more generally, are people just getting fed up with what they're seeing from our parliament? You know, I was talking about Nadine Dorries in the first part of this conversation. We've seen the sleaze, we've seen the sort of scandals emerging that years ago would have simply meant an MP resigned. There wouldn't have been any question over it. They certainly wouldn't have got the support of the Prime Minister and the whips in the way that some of these malcontents have. Um, do you sense out there in the country, you know, and again, it's one of the reasons people gave for voting Brexit, for example, um, that people's yeah, opinion of politicians is shrinking even further? Yes, I do. And that goes to... A a fundamental case. Um, there was a book written a year or two ago saying about Isabel Hartman, I think it is, from The Spectator, about sort of we get the MPs we deserve. And she really dug into the way in which um, members of parliament are selected or candidates are selected. And we all know how parliament, uh, political parties select people. They're um, quite heavily controlled from the centre now. They try and make sure they haven't got any um, skeletons in the cupboard and all that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, they're not necessarily... Me, Boggett. ...with a lot of experience, you know. And, and <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, yeah, but this 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 having anything in your cupboard is a problem. You know, you, can, you will never know. I'm looking at more. But apart from that, we'll never know the highly talented people who, you know, say, you know, I don't, I don't want my... Private life exposed like that. I don't want some skeletons coming out of my cupboard. I'm not going to touch it with a barge pole. It's 85,000 quid now, I think it is. But, I mean, 
you know, from we were talking about the really bright people who want to come into government. Well, that's not an attractive salary. I know, I know the electorate will never have it, and because they wouldn't have it, we had the expenses schedule, by the way, but we won't go into yeah. that now. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, I, I, but it's terribly. Ter- I don't want to be guilty of looking back on a golden era, but you know, when I started my journalistic career, there really were. And they often made mistakes and so on, but they were people of stature, of experience, uh, and, 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 and the ability to, to do things and to command the civil service, not to denounce the civil service. I think the blob thing was a, was a desperate, a desperate description by inadequate politicians of their civil servants. You know, you call them the blob because you've not given them sufficient direction. They they'll have a they'll have a sort of a central view about how sort of things should go. But most of the civil servants I've ever met have always said, if I we get ministerial directions, if we know where a minister wants to go with a policy, uh, we'll do it. And I was um, I was talking to my wife the other day about the scandal of Chris Grayling, who privatised the probation service at the cost of over one and a half billion pounds. He was told. What he, the model he was doing uh, was wrong. It all went wrong. It didn't help uh, with what he was trying to do. And then, you know, there was a report by the uh, National Audit Office that well, that gathers dust on this on the shelf. And there's no retribution, you know. So I think you're you're absolutely right. I think people have have lost faith. I mean, it's not our job just to. I mean, you know, the danger of this cynicism, which I'm probably spouting out now, the danger is then that people reach for strong leaders and you know we've got to look at look across at our we we love we love the european union you and i frank but we've got to acknowledge that there is um only in spain uh the weekend there is a move to the right and you know you've got to be careful in sort of denouncing all democratically elected people that you get someone who knows what the solution is and i'm a strong man give me all the power so there are dangers down the other way but i, I do think we've got a problem with the quality of our politicians and I don't think it's necessarily just the quality, James, because, you know, people don't pay as much attention to what's happening within Parliament as you and I do. But, of course, they do pay attention when somebody's got uh, something happening that shouldn't be happening. You know, so Boris Johnson throwing parties during lockdown. You know, that pisses people off because it's just wrong. Um, sexual harassment cases, people who are actually looking as though they're doing things financially, not quite correct. Uh, yeah, it's those sort of things that people start to question politicians over. And of course, we're not careful. We get into this narrative of, well, they're all the same. And of course, they're not because of those 600 of MPs. You and I are fortunate enough to know many of them. And I would say 95% of them are very good people. I'm talking about all parties here, not being party specific, very good people, very hardworking, very committed, could actually go off into the private sector and earn more money, but are dedicated to the job of public service. And my fear is that that 95% are being tarnished and overshadowed by the few who have these scandals, which, of course, inevitably, the media, the press pay far more attention to than some of the great things that those MPs are doing, often behind the scenes. Yes, and they are bombarded with social media of the vilest kind. Um, <coughs> excuse me, their casework is considerably um, increased now, you know, and people expect instant answers because we live in that 
that age. And and I think their casework's increased because in a lot of things that they would normally the public would normally go to now, they get an answering machine saying your call is important to us when the truthful message should be your call is unimportant to us and we'll keep you holding on the line until you lose the will to live. So they then go to their MP. So there are unattractive features of that. And I think all the all these things are are, are relevant in, in, in this I case. think it's cascaded as well, James, if I may say so, in terms of local government, because what I see MPs dealing with now, when I was involved as a local authority councillor, I would have been dealing with. It wouldn't have gone anywhere near the MP. It would have been an issue that I would have been able to sort out as a councillor. But I think such as the calibre, and I think it matters even more at a local level in a sense, such as the calibre of our councillors now, that you don't have that first port of call, so you inevitably end up going to the Member of Parliament, who often are now just becoming glorified councillors, and that's not what they're there for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, 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 needs to be, that needs to be improved as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, James, listen, um, we've enjoyed this chat. I hope people who are listening have as well. They might not have, of course, but we've enjoyed ourselves. Um, so we're going to do this from the autumn on a regular basis. I believe you're up for that, yeah? Very much looking forward to it. And then what an what a autumn and next 12 months we're going to have. Um, it's going to be absolutely fascinating uh, after this period of great turbulence that we've had i mean a run-up to a general election is not a period of calm so there's going to be a very interesting period as the conservatives try and claw their way back get that inflation down stop the boat people um uh, but all these things are highly problematic and they're all subject to um, to events so it's going to be a fascinating thing but downtown are always up for that frank analysis of things um, from a business point of view um, and, and, and 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 keeping in touch with what's going on, particularly in the northwest and the Midlands, and everywhere that we've now spread the northeast. Absolutely, and lots of uh, politicians that will be popping into downtown events over the next few months. We've got uh, Johnny Reynolds, actually, it's an event in Manchester shortly. We've got Steve Reid, the Shadow Justice Minister, who, of course, uh, is uh, really close to Keir and the campaign team there. We've doing an event in London with West Streeting and Gary Neville. That should be a good double header. Uh, but it's not all about the Labour Party. We've got Andy Street in Birmingham. We're hoping to get Gillian Keegan back again during the Conservative Party conference. And only this week, uh, I'm interviewing the GB News uh, couple for Esther McVeigh and Philip Davies, who, of course, are also Conservative MPs. So we are balanced. Uh, we don't try and hide our politics, but nevertheless, we try and give a fair hearing to all. And I'm sure across the downtown membership, you've got political colours of all stripes. You've got Labour, you've got Tory, you've got Liberal Democrats. I dare say you've got Raven Loomy. And so if you've enjoyed this Downtown Den podcast, there will be more politics on a weekly basis from the autumn with Jim Hancock, myself, and I'm sure we'll have one or two Politico guests popping in as well. Jim, it's been great to have your company. Have a great summer. Enjoy what's left of it. And uh, let's be back in the autumn for, as you say, what's going to be a really exciting time politically. Looking forward to it already, Frank. Thank you very much indeed. And a good break to you.